you, ladies. Thank you for joining in worship. So good. I love our evening gatherings because we've had this whole day of sharing together, being in the Word, worshiping, rich conversations, many tears, but many moments of surrender and yes with Jesus. And then we bring it all into this place, and you can just feel right the the sense of joy you can feel the sense of freedom in this room you can sense the holy spirit here and there's just gratefulness i don't know about in your heart but there's gratefulness in mine because i love seeing god move amongst us right amen yeah. amen amen all right you know if you've been here at fall bible getaway before at least for the first, for the last few years you know that on friday night a lot of times that often means that we're going to do some personal bible study time and that's where we put some tools in your hands and we give you some directions and then we send you off to do some individual time of Bible study and dig into God's Word. Well, we are going to do that this year, but it's not tonight, okay? We're going to do that at another time. It's going to come later in the weekend. Tonight, we're going to gather again around His Word and see what God has in store for us. See, we've already had a wonderful meal at the tables. Thank you again, kitchen, right? So good, so good. Yep. But now Jesus has a rich meal for us in his word as well, like he's been doing all weekend. And I say all weekend, we've been here 24 hours, right? But wow, how things have changed in that 24 hours, right? Many of you didn't know anyone. You're coming in, you're a little like nervous and awkward and all, and now we're just, you know, we're sisters in the room. There's such a sense of, of sisterhood here, and I, I love that. You know, as we think about meals, I want to ask you to just kind of let your mind wander a bit to maybe a time when too many cooks were in the kitchen, right? And you shouldn't have to think too hard about that, especially if you were around that table just a few moments ago, right, when we were trying to make those PBJs. Who was it that went? One? It was Christy, your team. You guys won. All right. So I don't even know when the last time I ate a PBJ. Does, does anybody? <laughs> yeah? Okay. I don't know. I used to eat them a lot. But anyway, that was fun. That was a fun moment. But seriously, have you ever experienced that, like, like for real? Like maybe you're in your kitchen, you're trying to fix dinner, your husband comes in, your kids, like they're trying to help, but really they're just creating more chaos, right? Because they're messing up your order, like the way that you would do things in the kitchen. Or maybe you went on a trip with some other families. Maybe you were sharing like a beach house like this or whatever. And your order of doing things and the other people's order just really doesn't go very well together. It can get pretty awkward pretty quick, right? Or maybe your mother-in-law visited, right? And she's in the kitchen with you. And the way she does things and your order of doing things don't follow the same order at all. And there's probably laughter because that's probably happened before, right? See, there's a reason for all those funny little memes we see that say too many what? Cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks in the kitchen. And why is that? Because we all have strong opinions about the way we like things to be done, about the order of things in our space. We want it to go according to our plans and our preferences. And that's why even here at Fall Bible Getaway, we need four cooks in the kitchen, right? But we got to have one who's the leader. And here, that's Julie B. But in the kingdom of God, that is Jesus, right? He is the only leader in his kingdom. And Jesus wants to talk to us about that tonight, about saying yes 
to his order, meaning saying yes to his way of doing things. And that's really the main course of the meal he has for us tonight. So the first thing out of our box is going to be this phrase that he speaks many times in this sermon in the NASB version, and it's in order that, okay? In order that. That's the first thing out of the box. See, maybe you saw that phrase repeated multiple times when you were copying it. I personally believe when we're in God's word and we see something repeated again and again, that should be a time where we pause, right? And we lean in a little closer. We ask the Holy Spirit, what about that, right? Because repetition often means importance. And the Holy Spirit will sometimes use that repetition to speak something to us of significant value. So let, let's take a look at this phrase. We find that phrase in order that in really two parts of the Sermon on the Mount that we already looked at earlier this morning. So I want us to look at that first. For instance, when Jesus was talking about our relationships with one another, I brought my Bible over here. <laughs> Let me get that up here too. But when he was talking about our relationships with one another in chapter 5, verse 25, he said, uh, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way. In order that your opponent, right, in order that your opponent doesn't deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer, he's talking to them about that. And then over in verses 44 and 45, he said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that... You may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And like we discussed this morning, Jesus is saying when you live loving your enemies, you're ordering your relationships in such a way that it's going to be obvious to everybody around you that you're children of God. Because you're loving people, you're treating people according to his order. And as hard as that might seem, you know what? Jesus, who is the king in his kingdom, has every right to tell us how things should be, right? In his kingdom, he has every right to tell us not only how to order our relationships, but also how to order everything in our lives. And a lot of what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is him doing just that. Because when he came to earth, there was a lot of disorder, right? And he wanted to get things in order. But we must always remember he didn't come in like just blowing things up. He came in with blessing, right? The reason he wants to get things in order for us is because he wants to bless us. He's sharing his order for our good. And this morning, he spoke to us a lot about the order of our relationships with one another, right? But tonight, as we continue on in this sermon, we're going to hear him speak about the order of our relationships, our relationship with God, and also with some other things as well. So first, let's talk about our relationship to God, and we'll get started there. And, and before we really jump into that, I want to think about this for a moment. That relationships involve action. See, every relationship involves action. Now, we're valuable in a relationship for who we are. But it's the action in the relationship that indicates that there's life in that relationship. That there's genuine meaning going on in the relationship. So think about certain kinds of relationships you have and the actions that go along with them. For instance, as a mother, if you have kids, there are certain actions that you do for those kids that indicate there's relationship going on, right? As a friend, there are certain actions that we do in friendships to keep that relationship alive. As a, as a wife, as an employee, there are certain actions 
that just go along with those relationships. So I think you get the idea of that. And the same is true in our relationship to God. We're valuable in that relationship for who he is and who we are. But it's the action in the relationship that indicates there's relationship, right? That something's going on there, that there's meaning and, and, and genuine um, activity going on. And as chapter 6 begins, we find that Jesus refers to some of those actions as practicing our righteousness. Okay, that's the phrase that he uses. And then he goes on to discuss certain actions, specifically mentioning three things. He talks about giving alms, okay? And that would be a term we're not as familiar with. So just think about generosity to the work of God, things that honor him, okay? So generosity of your finances, all right? So giving. What about praying? He talks about that. And he also talks about fasting. And we're going to look at each one of those things. And Jesus is going to tell us how we're supposed to order those things in our lives. But what we notice about these actions is that Jesus really never talks about whether or not we should do those things. Actually, in fact, his language infers that he just assumes we are, right? Because those are actions that go along with a relationship to them. What he's really speaking about as he talks about these things is how we do them what the motivation of our hearts is when we give, when we fast, when we pray. So once again, what do we see Jesus doing here? He's getting to the heart, right, of why and how. So make sure this is clear as we begin. Jesus assumes that in the order of his kingdom, as we're in relationship with him, there are certain things we've already said yes to doing. That's the assumption. We've already said yes to being generous with our finances for his honor. We've already said yes to praying. We've already said yes to fasting. He's assuming that those things are a part of our relationship. And you know what, ladies, if they're not, okay, well, let's just be real right now. You probably need to say yes to those things, okay? Because those are part of an action that goes along with a relationship to God. But in the Sermon on the Mount, the conversation he has is with us is about ordering the heart and the why of how we do them. So we're gonna review what he says about each of these actions. We're gonna take some notes along the way as we do that, and then we're gonna be mindful of some themes that we see coming up in his conversation. And we're gonna get started in Matthew 6, verse one, and I'm gonna ask Debbie Curling if you will share verse one with us. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Awesome. Thanks. So Jesus' warning here is to be careful, right? He says, beware. Beware of what? Be careful of what? Doing things in your relationship with God so that people will notice it, right? To be noticed by men. And why is it that he tells us to be careful? Probably because he knows we're all prone to doing that, right? We're all prone to that. And he says, if that's how you live, you're not going to have any reward with your father who is in heaven. So that's how he starts out, warning people about this desire that can lodge in our hearts to be noticed by men and how that can mess up our relationship with God. And then he goes on to describe different ways that he sees people doing that in their relationship with God actions. First, giving, okay? So we'll talk about that first. We give of our money. Okay, our generosity of our finances to God's work and pur purposes. So what does Jesus say about that kind of generosity? Amy, will you, Amy Kimball, verses 2 through 4, please. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, 
forward and fold. But when you give to the alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms will be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will receive you. So Jesus is speaking about two kinds of people here, two different kinds. And we're going to give them names, okay? He does, really. He calls the first one a hypocrite, right? And we all know what a hypocrite is, right? The next one, we're going to give a name. We're going to call it the learner, that person, the learner, because Jesus is speaking to people, right, who are listening to him and learning from him, and he's wanting to teach us. So he starts by telling the learners how the hypocrite is most often behaving, how they're accustomed to behaving. The hypocrite does the action, right? He gives the, the finances to God's work, but literally he's sounding a trumpet when he does it. Like, da, 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 like everybody look at me. I'm, I'm giving this money to God. He sounds it in the houses of worship, he said. He sounds it in the street, just like day-to-day -day life. Why does he do that? To get everyone's attention so that he can be, it said, honored by men. All right, that's, that's what he wants, honored for his generosity. See, Jesus is revealing the, the motivation of the hypocrite's action. He's giving to God, but his gift really isn't for God. It's for himself because he's giving in, in order to, see that, in order, in order to receive something, honor. He's hoping people are going to see him giving this money, and then they're going to give him affirmation and honor and worth to his position in life, okay? So how does Jesus instruct the learner to order their giving instead? What does he say? He says, but when you give alms, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, right? See, he gives this word picture that reveals his order, and it's the opposite of what the hypocrite does, right? Jesus' order is that when we give, we should be very quiet and very discreet about it like keeping it a secret, so that only God himself and the one who is giving it will know. And God, it says he sees in secret. And then Jesus says this. He said, when you do it like that, when you order it like that, you're going to get a reward from God. And the implication here is that God's rewards are a whole lot better than anything man could ever give you, right? So there's a very big difference right from the get-go in this first one of Jesus' order and the order of the hypocrite's heart, right? What about the next action that he talks about? Prayer. Dana, will you share verses 5 through 6? And when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go to your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So Jesus describes again the hypocrite in relation to prayer. He's somebody who loves to stand and pray where? In the places of worship, right? Out in public where he can be seen. And it actually says there, in order that he will be seen by men. He's praying to God, but not in order to really connect to God. He wants people to see him praying. So what does Jesus say about that? He says, but when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, right? Basically, he's saying, find a personal space, right? Where you're all by yourself and you get with God there. The place where only God himself, the one who sees in secret, will see you praying. And he's going to give you a blessing. 
Sounds very familiar to what he said about giving, right? It's very, very um, in sync with that, all right? Consistent message and theme through his words. Now, one of our attendees had was supposed to do verses 7 and 8. She wasn't able to come, and so I'm going to share those with you now, okay? It says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And then he says, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. See, he's addressing another very common practice in prayer. And he calls it meaningless repetition. Those are kind of some hard words, I think. He says, don't be like that. Don't order your prayers like that. For your God, your Father, he already knows what you need. And then he goes on to show us how to pray. And this is where the Lord's Prayer comes in in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we didn't give anyone the Lord's Prayer as their memorization verse. I think I told you that last night because we figured that you're all pretty familiar with it. So I'm not going to have us read it in this moment. But isn't it interesting that some 2,000 years later, we can easily find ourselves praying the Lord's Prayer in meaningless repetition? Like, have you, could you like just say the Lord's Prayer without even engaging your brain at all? I found myself doing that sometimes when I was going through, because I had a, I'd set myself a plan of how many times I was going to go through the Sermon on the Mount as I was memorizing it. And I would get to that part, you know, I'm doing something else, getting ready, whatever, going through it. And then I'm like, oh my goodness I just did it again like just saying it like as if it's words and it isn't interesting that that's exactly what's happened with the very thing that he was trying to teach us not to do it in that way we are so prone to disordering our lives differently than what he would order them see this prayer should be anything but meaningless anything but meaningless Actually, it's so full of meaning about our relationship to God and how we connect to him. I mean, let's just look at it for a minute. Our Father who art in heaven, that's all about our humility before him and our affection towards him as a loving father. And then there's worship when it says, hallowed be thy name. And then when it says, thy kingdom come, it's praying into the interest of his kingdom and praying them into your own life, putting his will before your own. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a way for us to talk to the Lord about just our daily, practical, everyday needs and our sins and our hurts and forgiveness get prayer too as we pray into forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, as we forgive our debtors. And then this too, our need for protection and care as we say don't let us be led into temptation, right? But deliver us from evil. When we get alone with God in these ways, the glory of relationship with him can be incredible. Things get ordered rightly, right? He's glorified in our lives. The blessings are endless. And that's why it says, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. For how long? Forever, right? Such a reward. So let's move on, though, to fasting. Nicole Franks, will you share verse 16 with us? And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect like their appearance So here's this hypocrite walking around with a gloomy face, right? <laughs> trying to look weak, trying to look um, like he hasn't had anything to eat, probably talking about how hungry he is, right? Oh, I haven't eaten since yesterday. Why? Because I'm fasting for Jesus, right? The things we'll do, right, to get attention sometimes. Are you seeing the consistencies in each one of these things? 
This hypocrite is so desperate. And what are they desperate for? To be noticed, to be honored, to be seen. So here he's acting all gloomy when he's fasting. And why is he doing that? It says right again, in order to what? To be seen by man. But what does Jesus say to the learner? Julia, will you share verse 17 and 18? But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be seen by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So basically Jesus is telling you, wash your face, right? Comb your hair. Do whatever you got to do to just look like yourself so that your fasting isn't seen by the people around you. But God who is in heaven, the one who sees in secret, he'll know you're doing that and he will reward you. The idea is that everything you give up in fasting, God's going to give it back to you and probably more. So I'm sure, right, because they're so obvious, we're all seeing these themes, okay? But I want us to talk about them a little bit. First of all, the hypocrite does the action that appears to be for God, all three of them, giving, praying, fasting, but what is his real motivation? To be seen, right? It's not about his relationship with God. Maybe part of it is for him, but what about having a pure heart, right? To have that pure heart of relationship to God, he, he can't mix it with his desire to be seen by men. And those desires of needing to be seen become the way that he's ordering his heart, okay? And, you know, we saw that consistently as Jesus talked about these actions, and we might think, oh, I would never do that. Like, I wouldn't blow a trumpet when I gave money, right? Or, you know, walk around with a gloomy face. But I think we have to be really careful not to dismiss that, you know, too quickly. Because these same things can show up in our hearts in other ways. Like, for instance, have you ever told somebody, oh, I'm praying for you, but you never really prayed for them. You said that because you wanted that person to feel better. You didn't really ever connect with God on their behalf. I mean, we write that on Facebook, praying, praying, praying. Do you really, like, get before the throne of God and call out their name and speak specific things? Or was it more about letting that person know that you care for them, okay? Or, Or maybe we serve at church or, you know, somehow in the kingdom, but it's not really about because we want to please God. We want a certain person or a certain group of people to know, hey, I'm doing my part, right? It, I want you to know I'm carrying my load, right? And, and, and even if you have part of a heart of wanting to do that for God, that can all get mixed up within that. And when we go and have those spiritual baths with God, he has to take care of those things. Or we might even make subtle comments sometimes, you know, just to, to let somebody know, hey, I did something really generous here, right? We don't say it outright. Like we're not sounding the trumpet, but we kind of just squeeze it in a little bit or make this little, you know, comment here or there. See, the desire can show up to be seen can show up in a lot of ways, some very subtle. And it's understandable because we all have that desire to be seen. And it's going to show up in different ways, depending on your personality, depending on your circumstances. But the reality is we all crave being seen. And it's just a longing that's basic to the human soul. But being seen is more than just being seen on the outside, right? That specific action. It's knowing that you're seen to the heart of who you are. That somebody sees beyond just that outer person. And and what they see somehow gives you worth. That says you matter. You know, you do have worth. You measure up. You've met the standard. You have value. You have purpose. And you know what? God knows 
we need to be seen. But he also knows our desire to be seen will never be satisfied in relationship with men. And I think that's what he's really speaking into here. He's speaking into the order of our hearts and how it's all gotten mixed up because he wants us to live in blessing. Remember he said yes. So when he sets his kingdom order, his heart is always to bless. Now, we can acknowledge, and I think all of us could acknowledge this, you do get some kind of a lift, filling, whatever, when you know that people see you doing something well, right? We like that encouragement. I mean, if the whole likes, follows, all that stuff on social media doesn't speak to that, I don't know what does, right? I mean, we, we want to be seen, and you do get some kind of a, a filling, a lift in your heart when you know that you're seen. But what people can give us can never meet that need. That's why Jesus says that several times, you'll, you'll get something, you'll get your reward in full, but that's really all you're going to get. Because whatever man can give you is not going to fill you in the way that you really need. Even the best of people, the people who love us the most, they can't give us to the level that we crave that being seen. See, our need to be seen is a need that reaches to the heavens. It's a need to be seen by our Father for a divine connection, for a genuine, meaningful relationship with our God whose power and kingdom never end. So there is that theme here of having that tendency to order your life to be seen by men, and it runs through this whole conversation. But don't miss this theme. Over and over again, Jesus is speaking to a better way, a better way to order our lives, a way that's going to bring full and lasting satisfaction, and it's in the secret place. It's in the secret place with God, that quiet place, that alone place, that place where nobody else sees but him. And he's pretty extreme about how he describes this, right? I mean, he says, do, um, do your giving so discreetly that... One side of your body wouldn't even know that the other side of your body's doing it, right? I mean, that, that's really discreet. Or he says, be so secretive when you pray that you go into your inner room. So that would be like a closet within a closet. And then he even said, make sure you shut the door, right? He said, and then when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret. And then he even said, do whatever you got to do to make yourself look pretty so that nobody knows that you are really hungry and you're feeling weak. Okay, I mean, he, he went pretty extreme. So we see all that and we can go, okay, I can do that. Like I, I can go into my closet and pray every day and you know, I can be really discreet and not let anybody know that I gave this money or whatever, but be very careful because you could follow the extreme of those examples and I think still miss Jesus' order altogether. Because let me explain what I mean by that. See, I can tell you personally, I love the secret place with God. I haven't always been like that, but uh, you know, as my relationship with God has grown, I love being in the secret place with God. And it, it's somewhere that I go often in my relationship with him. And it's obvious Jesus is encouraging us to follow that order because he knows that's a very valuable place. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus seeking out the secret place. But he often went alone to get by himself with his father. But I must also say this. Don't think that just because you keep your donations a secret or you pray in a closet or you never tell anyone that you fast that it means you're ordering your relationship to God. 
If we were following Jesus' order completely, just me telling you a moment ago that I love the secret place would undo all of that because now it's not a secret anymore, right? Because I just told you that I'm actually, you know, getting the secret place with God. See, Jesus' order here is not really about keeping a secret. It is, but it isn't. Because if it's just about keeping a secret, I could get real legalistic about that real quick. And a lot of people have done that kind of thing over the years. I think what he's really talking about here is our motive. What's our in order that, right? What's our in order that? And he's giving us a very practical way to help get that in order because it's probably way out of order. See, I think he gave such extreme examples to those people about doing these things in secret, not because he expected us to always do it that way or to always live in that extreme of secret, but because at the time, the religious behavior of, of many of these people was really extreme. I mean, people literally did sound trumpets when they gave money, right? And they really did pray loudly on the street corners and walked around with droopy faces in seasons of fasting. And Jesus saw straight through all of those in order that, straight to the heart of their motives, and he knew they needed truth. He knew that they really needed to be seen by God himself. And sometimes when things have swung so far in one direction, they've got to swing really far in the other direction to land in a place of balance, right? You swing here, so now i got to go all the way over here to get back to a place of balance. Obviously, there's going to be times when we give and somebody else is going to know, right? There's going to be times that we pray together. I mean, it's happened in this house today, right? And, and we're not all by ourselves. You know, there's going to be other acts of worship and relationship that we participate in with our Father that we're not going to always do alone. So ultimately, I, I believe that the order of his kingdom that Jesus is expressing here is have a pure heart. Have a pure heart in relating to God. Remember, he said that, blessed are the pure heart for they will what? They'll see God, right? And that's what we're longing for in that relationship with him. And he said that because he knows the pure in heart will truly see God. They'll truly be in relationship with him. And he said that because he knows how impure our motives can get. How, how quickly our in order that can go in the wrong direction. There are so many impure in order that's in our heart. So many impure motives that we tend to have. And really, I, I've found in my own life as Jesus just peels back the layers, they're kind of layered. Like you think, okay, got that kind of cleaned out. And then before you know it, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that was there either. And so in wisdom and love and kindness, what he's doing here is giving us a way to, to try to set things in order, a practical plan. And that plan is the secret place. The secret place is a really beautiful place. But if you make it just a legalistic action, the in order of that that he's after is going to go out the window. See, in the secret place, not only will that place probably have a cleansing effect on our hearts, because we get rid of all the distractions, it's just us and God, and he can speak to us, but it's also, this, is, this part is so good, it's also in the secret place that we truly experience, experience the being seen that we're really longing for. Yeah. That's what we really need. And I think that's why he's calling us to get there. See, the more you're in the secret place with God, your desire to be seen by people is going to get purified. Purified by the experience of being seen by God himself because he'll meet our need. When we're alone with God, we experience 
that. And there's nothing like knowing God sees you. And when you're pure in heart, you see him. And then you get to know that he's really seeing you, that his eye is on you, right? His eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches me. So ladies, Jesus' order for relationship with God in his kingdom is a pure heart. And that pure heart is best found in the secret place. He's so good to share that wisdom with us, to tell us about it. Because we are all craving to be seen. Can we say yes to the secret place? Yeah. I know many of us already are. Can we say yes more to the secret place? Some of us need to say that for the very first time. I hope that we will say that. And when you write these yeses down, remember, you want to, at the end of the session, sometime before we get to the next one, you want to pick your most important yes out of that session and write it on the back of that card, okay? All right. Even though that's a lot to take in, Jesus doesn't stop there. He just keeps going, right? Talking about things, the order of his things in his kingdom. So he has more for us. As he continues to talk, he talks about things in our hearts and how they need to be ordered. Dottie, will you read verse 19 for us? Or say. <laughs> Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. All right, so we're going to call this one Our Relationship with Treasure. And you know what? I'm not doing a good job at this. Here's the secret place. I'm not a good cook, all right? So, no, Jesus cooked it up. I just got to remember to pull them out of the box. But here is treasure, okay? So three things in the box so far. We've got the in order that, the secret place, and now our treasure, all right? I remember years ago... Hearing somebody say in a prayer, God, I want to love the things you love, and I want to hate the things that you hate. And that prayer just really had a deep um, impact in, in my heart, and, and I began to pray that. I began to pray that because I was in a season in my life where I really wanted to line up my heart with God's heart. I wanted to line up the order of my heart with doing things in the order that he did them. Because here's what was happening as I was getting in the secret place more and more. I was finding that I was bringing chaos to God's order, you know? If, have you ever been the one coming into somebody else's kitchen and they've got an order and you just get this feeling, I am in their way. Like, I'm messing things up. That's the way I felt in the kingdom. I, I, I was very aware that my order was not the order that God had. So I prayed, God, put my life in order. I want to love what you love and I want to hate what you hate. It wasn't a prayer of shame. It was a prayer of growth, of adjusting, of ordering my life aright. Because the more time I spent with him, the more I knew deep down in here that his order is always full of wisdom. It's always best. It's always going to bring me blessing. And so I knew the affections of my heart, the things that I called a treasure, needed to be put in order. Now, verses 20 and 21 were my verses for memorization, so let me share them with you, okay? Dottie already talked about not laying up, or shared with us the 1 and 20, about not laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And then Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I said, Dottie said, don't lay up treasures in heaven. She said, don't lay up treasures on earth. Then our, my verse was, but, I, um, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there, um, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, Jesus knows what will happen in our hearts 
when the stuff of this world becomes our treasure. And what happens is our hearts get deceived. Our hearts get deceived. In this world, the order, the plan, the goal, whatever you want to call it, is amass as much treasure as you can, right? In order that you'll be happy and you'll be secure and you'll be safe. You'll feel esteemed and honored for all this treasure that you have. But Jesus is shining a light on that order of our relationship with treasure and he's saying moth and rust is going to destroy all your stuff. Thieves are going to break in and steal all your stuff. What is his message? Is he saying that stuff doesn't matter at all? Like we should all just be paupers? I, I don't think so. Because that doesn't even really seem consistent with the rest of the Bible. The riches of this earth can be used for really great purpose in this world when they're ordered rightly. But I do believe he's speaking to another area of our hearts that easily gets muddied up with the worldly order of things. And that's the part of our heart that loves the stuff, right? That loves the treasures of this earth. That trusts in the stuff for security. The part of our heart that drives us to spend the majority of our time, the majority of our energy, the majority of our resources amassing more and more and more stuff and calling it treasure. Now, even if we don't say that out loud, it's what's often going on in our hearts, right? The message here is twofold. First, he couldn't be more clear. The treasures of this earth are not going to last. And I think most of us know that in our heads, right? And we would even nod or say amen to that, but our credit card statements, our closets that are overcrowded, and our calendars don't reveal that's the order of our lives a lot of times. But you know what? Even more revealing, I think this is the part that's so rich here and the part that really we need to align our hearts in and maybe we never have before. What is the condition of our treasure chest in heaven? See, that's the second part of what Jesus talks about here. He's very clear that the best way to live now is to store up treasure for then. Tre treasure that moth and rust cannot destroy. Thieves will never break in and steal. And so if that is his order of things, that's what he loves, we need to be looking at that. We have to ask ourselves, have I, have I ever even thought about that? Have I said yes to that? Are we actively storing up treasure in heaven? Are we giving any attention at all to doing that? Do we even know what that looks like or how to do that? You know, if he said this, and he did, then it's important to think about that action, isn't it? Very important. And I believe the first step in ordering our lives to store up treasure in heaven is really having a clear view of what Jesus loves and what he hates. Because the more we know that, then the more we're going to be in touch with that, and the more it will reveal to us what's actually valuable in heaven. Because I'm most certain the economy in heaven is probably pretty different than the economy here. The things that are valuable here probably don't hold a whole lot of value there. And it's very hard to store up treasure if you don't know where the value lies, right? So we have to pray, Lord, what do you love? What, what matters to your heart? What do you value? Jesus orders things so differently. We've got to get used to that and being willing to lean into that. And I believe he's so kind to point this out. Like he's trying to set us up for success so that when we arrive in heaven, we're wealthy people. To say to us, in my kingdom, it's, it's best for you to live now so that you'll one day be rich in heaven. 
He's calling us to order our lives in such a way that we're attentive to those treasures and that we give more energy to our treasure there than we ever do here. See, most of us know exactly what it looks like to store up treasure here. Many of us have a full length plan. We've hired somebody to help us do that, right? We, we've got money in all these different places because we want to have it secure. And you know what? There's nothing really wrong with doing that. The Bible teaches a lot about how to handle your finances, how to manage those things. And when we order that correctly, God can use those riches and those things in a really powerful way. But even still, according to Jesus, Whatever you have here is not near as important as what you're supposed to be storing up there. So what is our plan? Do we even have a plan? Have we ever even thought about doing that? What's God's plan? You know what? I think it's in the secret place that we'll find out. He can be like the best financial counselor ever, the best treasure counselor. And then we start to get wise about our treasure chest there and attentive to it. I want to take just a moment to share one way. I think there's many ways, but I want to share one way that I believe we store up treasure in heaven. It all starts with Jesus, right? He is the treasure. And the foundation of the treasure in his kingdom is really the righteousness, peace, and joy. I mean, those are the commodities of his kingdom, right? But building on that, here's what I would say to you. Every time you say yes, it's like putting a jewel in your treasure chest in heaven. Every single yes to Jesus holds a treasure. One day I have decided I want to arrive at the pearly gates of very rich woman. Okay? See, we all know when someone of wealth is set to arrive somewhere, there's this excitement and preparation, right? Because they're, they're a wealthy person and they're coming. So the people who are there start preparing and they're excited because that person is coming. So have you ever thought about the day that you're going to arrive in heaven? Like, would the angels be really excited because you're coming, you're showing up. Your name is so well known there as the rich woman who always said yes to Jesus. Every time we say yes now, there is blessing here in this earth in your yes. But in heaven, there's more than blessing. It's a treasure, a treasure that can be in your treasure chest. And there's so much more that can be said about all of that. We're going to move on here because Jesus still has more to say about the order of his kingdom. So we'll leave that one there for now. Go to verses 22 and 23. And I'm going to be mindful and pull the next thing out of the box. And that is the eye. Okay? And I'm going to, and I even got the eyebrow on the top. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Sharon Cook to share verses 22 and 23 with us. The land of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your body, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. I love these verses. I haven't studied the Sermon on the Mount a lot until this year, but those verses have been very influential in my heart for, for a very long time. See, it was years ago that I first heard Jesus speak this truth to me, that the way I view things has the potential to either light up my life or put my life in a place of darkness. It's so powerful to think about that. Our perspective, our view, our opinion, 
The way we look at things can land us in light or land us in darkness. See, how many of us know there are a lot of different ways to view things, right? Different perspectives that we can have with our eyes. Jesus says, if your eye is clear, and I would take that to mean clear to see the kingdom of God, clear to see things from God's truth-filled perspective. Basically, if your eyes have been washed with the water of the word, like it talks about in the book of Ephesians, well, then your whole being is going to be filled with light. You're going to sense that light from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, and that's really powerful. But it's sobering to know the opposite of that, right? From the next part, that the very same thing can happen with darkness. Because Jesus also said, but if your eye is bad, and I would take that to mean your eyes are so clouded with worldly perspective, with sinful desires, with selfishness and anger and bitterness and jealousy and all of that stuff, right? I'll just stop there. We all know the list of those things could be really long. But if the, that's the condition of our eyes. And Jesus says, your whole body, like your whole being is going to be filled with darkness. So, I mean, that's pretty straightforward, right? It's not hard to understand. Pretty easy to get. Challenging to live, but, but not hard to understand. Because it's clear that Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, I want you to watch over your eyes, right? I want, to make sh I want you to make sure your eyes are clear, that you've given attention to the way you view things and make sure that your eyes are seeing things the way that I see them. Because he's saying your eyes control the light in your soul. How we view things is so important. And, and hopefully we get that, right, as followers of Jesus. My personal experience is I need to come to Jesus like many times a day and say, wash my eyes, wash my eyes. Lately, I've been having some issues with my eyes and I have these drops and I always put them in there because my eyes just feel cloudy. It's the same with Jesus. I need to be coming to him daily because it's just, you know, this interaction here, this, this task here, this whatever here that triggers some kind of feeling in my heart, right? It just can, just can get those eyes cloudy so quick. And so we just have to have that continual fellowship with Jesus. Wash my eyes, wash my eyes because left to myself, I'll get left in a place of hurt, disappointment, offense, selfishness, opinion, culture, you know, all these different things. And my eyes just get dark and then I land in darkness. And I know probably everyone in this room gets that, right? We get that. But what about the last part of this verse in 23, where Jesus says, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That never made sense to me. Even when, you know, several years ago, the Lord really spoke in a big way to me from these verses. I, I never really got that part. I was so mesmerized by the first parts, and that part always just left me going, what? How, how can light in you be darkness? I, I don't really get that. And so instead of pressing into that, instead of getting in the secret place with Jesus, I just kind of went, eh, I don't get that, and I just kind of went on. I would call that annulling, okay? And I missed out on that understanding instead of pressing in and trying to, to see what it was. And so this year, when I was studying the whole Sermon on the Mount, and I got to that part, I was like, ugh, I don't get that, right? And so what I did was I started asking the Lord to teach me because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And he did. He did teach me. See, this statement is really a response to Jesus' whole conversation that we started focusing on this morning when we were talking about all the you have heard but I say statements, okay? It goes through that. It goes through all of the in order that things where we, he talked about our giving, our praying, our fasting conversations, through the treasure storing, whether you're storing it on earth or heaven, and now our eyesight. Jesus has been talking to them 
all this time about things that they thought they were doing right. Things they thought were godly. Things they thought were filled with light. They thought that, but they were not right, right? They had been deceived, which only plunged them into an even deeper darkness because they thought it was right and it actually wasn't. That's why he says, how great is the darkness? Because it is a darkness where you're convinced it's light, but it's actually dark. See, when we call what is really darkness light, it's a double layer of darkness. All right, I'll say it for you again. When we, that part, when we call what is really darkness light, it's a double layer of darkness. He says, if the light that is in you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? And the reason that had such an impact on me, and I'm so glad that I pressed in, is because I've been in a place over the last two years just watching with amazement at the things going on in our world and so upset because I'm like, are you like senseless? Like you're calling these things light. And I think we can all imagine the things we've seen in our culture. And people are just touting things as light. And it's so clear that it's not. It's so clear that it's dark to me. And you, you couldn't even have a conversation with people about things like that. And that's what our culture, this is exactly what is happening in our culture today. All of these things. We hear people calling things light and see what the people of the day had been doing. The religious leaders were parading this self-righteousness and acting like it was light, but it was darkness. And they're so convinced of it that you couldn't even have a conversation with him, with them to try to tell him that. When Jesus tried, what did they do? They killed him, right? It's a deep darkness when you are so convinced that your perspective is right and you haven't stopped to ask Jesus what his is. And then you don't even know what the truth is is and that helped me so much to understand what's going on in our world today to get a perspective on it to understand why it's so senseless it's such a deep darkness that we can't even wrap our our minds around it you just plunge yourself so deep but you know what it also did it caused me great pause because how many times am i doing the very same thing right i i might for instance oh we really need to pray for so and so right and I'm clouding something in prayer. I'm calling it light, but really the motive of my heart maybe is gossip, right? Mm. That's calling it light, but it's really darkness, right? And we can get caught in just those subtle things as well. And so we need to be, it, it's just given me more pause to realize how much more do I need to come with humility to the Lord and say, cleanse my eyes so that I do not get caught up in this kind of deception. Does that make sense? Does it make, it's so good to understand this. It gives us perspective of why our world seems so crazy today, right? And, and we have to be so careful to know what the truth is. So, so careful because the things that appear light in this world often are dark. They often are dark and we cannot listen to people's opinions about what is light and what is true and what is right. We have to listen to the Lord. It really all comes down, ladies, to this very last verse that we're gonna discuss this evening. Jessica, that's your verse. Will you share it with us? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and riches. Yeah. To put it simply, this takes us all the way back to where we started tonight. There cannot be two cooks in the kitchen, right? Better said, there can't be two kings in the kingdom. Jesus is king, and it's his order that matters. Too often we're trying to serve ourselves or people or even situations, whatever is rich to us, right? It said you can't serve both God and riches. Riches don't have to be money, right? Riches can be man's attention. Riches can be the treasures of this earth. Riches can be our desires. Riches can be our opinion, our perspective. We never can serve Jesus and. It never works, right? There's a constant tug of war and a hypocrisy that grows whenever you're trying to serve Jesus and. Have we not seen what Jesus said tonight? You have to decide who you're going to say yes to. And if you say yes to Jesus, he's king. He gets to set the order of all things. As we start to bring this to a close, I want to share this story. So on the day that I was writing this message, I've been sitting at my computer all day, and I've been typing all these thoughts out, right, about two cooks in the kitchen, one king in the kingdom. I mean, you've been listening, so you know, right? But my husband got home, and I looked up and realized, oh my goodness, what time it is, and I hadn't even started fixing dinner yet. And so I said, hey, come in here and help me, because I knew it was going to be late and we needed to get it going. But the problem is, we don't usually work very well in the kitchen together, because <laughs> we both want to be in charge. And it didn't take but about three minutes of the most silly of interchanges of, no, do it this way, no, do it this way, why don't you do it like I do, and all of that. And I just stopped, and I just started laughing, because I thought, this is so ridiculous, you know? But it really wasn't even funny, it was true. It was true. Our, no, our nature is so stoked to want things our way. I had been writing about that all day and I didn't even see myself start to do it. We're so resistant to somebody else telling us how to do things, right? And so we've got to watch over our hearts in these ways because if we're not careful, we're going to be resistant to the Lord telling us how to do things too. See, it doesn't really matter when you're just trying to fix supper. Right? I mean, my husband and I, we've been together 35 years. We'll work it out, right? Maybe one day. But it does matter in the kingdom. It matters in the kingdom because Jesus is king and he sets the order. And we've seen that in the Sermon on the Mount. He's calling us to say yes to his order in some very specific ways. Maybe you've got some of these yeses written in your box. Yes to the order of having a purity of heart and your relationship with God and your acts of righteousness toward him. Yes to seeking affirmation from God. He's the one that fills our hearts, right? Yes to finding um, the secret place with him and learning to really thrive in that place with him. Yes to praying like he instructs. Yes to storing up treasures in heaven. Yes to seeking Jesus to cleanse our eyes and have those eyes cleansed again and again and again. Jesus has shared his order and he invites us to say yes to him. Him only. Not to him and, but to him only. His order in everything, right? He spoke to some things here, but it's really his order in everything. There's so many yeses here, ladies. Maybe when we started last night, you're like, I don't, I don't know where all these yeses are going to be. Do you see all these yeses, these opportunities to say yes? They're all for our good and his glory. 
Like we said this morning, every time we say yes, it's like we're putting one brick after another on that house that we're building on the rock. This morning we just referenced those verses. I've got this right here in the box. We wanna put the rock up here as well. But tonight, I actually want Lori Cosby, if you will share those verses with us, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against the house. And yet it did not fall until it had been founded on the rock. Yeah. And ladies, that's the reality. I mean, if you're alive, the winds are going to blow, the rains are going to descend, they're going to burst against your house. And if your house is built on the rock of Christ, on all these things, because what he said there was everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, right? Keeps those words, right? keeps those words. You, you put those words into action. You make them valuable. You make provision of them. And then you execute those words in your life. Every time you say yes to doing that, you are laying one brick after another. Remember that little chant we started this morning? We're going to do that again tonight. And actually, we, we put a little bit of music to it this afternoon. Rebecca's so amazing. So we're going to add that in. All right. So let's everybody stand up. Okay. And we're going we're gonna to get this little chant going again. Hopefully by the time you leave here, this little chant's going to be just going through your head in the mornings, like get yourself ready to build on the rock every day. All right. Rebecca's going to give us a chord. Yep. For just for the, just for the chant. Just for the chant. Yep. Yep. Ready? Remember, it's brick by brick. Here we go. All right. Ready? Yep. Here you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the whole hymnal right here. Okay, right? Here we go. Brick by brick, day by day. Oh, oh, oh.